Vach. I am shocked to see you here. <laughs> Full disclosure. <laughs> On the way over, I said to my wife, why am I doing this? There's going to be one person sitting there going, thank you. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. No, no, thank you. <laughs> it is so amazing to see you. And as uh, Tzvi said to me as I was getting up, we have a larger turnout than we did before Corona. So I realized, now I understand, because I used to hear people say, you go into Orlovsky, he goes, nah, that guy stinks. So now everyone's wearing masks, so that explains why it doesn't bother them anymore, so they're able to come. So Anyway, but uh, it's, uh, it's amazing to slowly see things getting back to normal, right? Which is really what this week's Parsha is about. Yeah? When the entire world is covered with water and everybody dies, and every life form dies except what's inside of this little boat, yeah? Um, and then you come off of the boat. Oh, it's a radical change, radical change. And it's what the Chazal call an olam chadosh. A few people got to see a new world, and one of them was Noach. Noach saw a new world. It was ad uh, that at the end of the parsha it says, V'yomos haran al-pnei terech aviv, and the Chazal say, because, why was this such a dramatic story? Because Haran was the first child to die in the lifetime of a father. So the Gros says, what do you mean? Look at all these people who died, you know, uh, if you add up the years, uh, from the marble, the years got smaller and smaller, so children died and their fathers were still alive. So he says, yeah, but they were all still alive when Haran died. He was the first one. He says, okay, what about Cain? He says, you can't count before the marble, only after the marble, because that was a new world. So uh, I uh, went down to the money changer, and uh, he's got an eclectic selection of books. Some of them are Torah books, and some of them are not. And uh, there's, there's all kinds of strange books. Anyway, I saw a book there that is old. Yeah, maybe 20 years old, I don't know exactly. But uh, I'm always the last to pick up on something. You know, I don't know if you heard, there was this, uh, this woman in England wrote a book called Harry Potter. It's quite a phenomenon. Anyway, well, I'm usually late. Anyway, it's called The Black Swan. And uh, the premise of the book is that there are only white swans. And everyone knows there are only white swans. And then they found a black swan in Australia. And... Uh, so some people say, well, then it must not be a swan, because swans are white. So I bet it's a swan. I said, it can't be. There are, no, there are no black swans. So he developed an entire approach called the black swan event, where something happens that is so unexpected and completely changes around the entire world. And uh, there are those people who referred to the COVID, what took place as a black swan event, that the entire world as we know it just changed upside down. It just changed. And uh, there are people who start referring to this as the new normal. I, I don't know what new normal means, uh, the term. Um, uh, some of my shiurim had to switch to Zoom. And uh, as things started to recover one by one, most of them I was able to switch back uh, to live. And And the fact that people are getting used to not going to school and, and taking classes on Zoom and not going to shiurim and, and things like that, I think is, uh, I don't think is, is, is a good situation for the world. 
And, uh, and so the fact that we're back and so many people uh, braved the situation to be able to come out and, uh, and uh, come to a shir is a testimony to an olam chadosh in Mitzah Hashem where things are going back to the way that they're supposed to be. Okay, that's my briefest of introductions. I got a lot to say on this topic. And in fact, uh, I don't know if anybody knows, but um, I started a podcast. This is what people do who don't have a job. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I used to, I, I've, had, I've had several lives, you know. I was uh, the long director of NCSY, and then I moved to Israel, and then I was mashkiach in yeshiva, and then I became a, a teacher, you know, in seminaries and yeshivas, and then I became a world-famous speaker, and now I have a podcast which means I basically do nothing, you know, I sit at home and, uh, and uh, once a week record for an hour, uh, less than an hour, yeah, and um, it's, uh, you know, somebody said to me once, they heard, you know, someone says, oh, my husband started a podcast, he says, oh, my husband's out of work also, anyway, but uh, this is my third anniversary, we started on Parshish Noach, so it's now three years that I'm doing this, and I can't keep track of all the numbers because I, I don't know how technology works. But, um, uh, you know, there are definitely thousands of people who I have an opportunity to reach. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a changing world. world changes. Having said that, Enodaima, you know, sometimes I, I give one of these Zoom shirim and, like, everybody turned off their camera. And I'm just looking at a bunch of black squares. And I'm just sitting here talking to myself. You know, there are presumably people there. I just can't see any of them. You know, it's a, it's a strange kind of a situation. But, uh, you know, I always ask people, at least turn on your camera so I can see that there's somebody there, you know. And some people do, some people don't. And uh, it's a little depressing, a kind of depressing situation. Uh, there is this a rise in depression, uh, studies have shown, because the distance between people that took place because of this and all these lockdowns, they have a consequence. They really do. They, uh, they uh, take a toll on people. Sometimes we realize it and sometimes we don't. So, We should be able to be zeichet to see a new world. We should be able to see things going back to the way that they're supposed to be. All right. So that's my briefest of introductions. Oh, that's what I started to say. So now that I have this podcast, so, you know, I just, you know, have an opportunity to rant and rave about anything that I want to you know, for 40 minutes, basically to myself, looking at the little camera. And um, uh, so if you, uh, uh, you know, so I, I, this used to be my only forum to do that. So I don't have to carry on so much about this anymore. So, uh, so that's it. That, that, that is, like I say, uh, introduction. Well, I'll probably have more to say on the subject, but fine. Um, I heard a riddle a long time ago. Here's how the riddle goes. It's a Hebrew riddle. Um, Sof, sof, tchila. Tchila, sof, sof. Noach Yoshev be'emsa teva. I'll translate it for you. The end, the end is the beginning. The beginning, the beginning is the end. Noach is sitting in the middle of the ark. That is apparently how you translate it. Uh, what's, the, what's the trick? I'll give it away to you. I'm sorry. I don't like to do that because... I should really just leave you with that, let you ponder it. But, uh, but I, I need to make my point, so I'm sorry for ruining it for you. Yeah? Sof, sof, tchila, the trick is, it doesn't mean the end of the end. It means sof, the word sof is the beginning. That's a pay. Samach vav pay, that's sof. Sof, sof, the end of sof is the beginning, pay. 
Tehila sof, sof. The beginning of the word sof is the end. That's the samach. And Noach yoshev be'emza hateva. Noach is sitting not in the middle of the ark, in the middle of the word. A word is also a teva. And so the answer to the riddle is Pinchas. Sof, sof, tchila is the pay. Tchila, sof, sof is the samach. And Noach is in the middle of the word. That spells Pinchas. Okay. Use this on Parsha's Pinchas. Yeah. So uh, yeah, you'll have, you have a, your Pinchas riddle all set up for you. Yeah. So uh, the reason uh, that struck me is because nothing is a coincidence. Right? We've, we've, we know this already. Everything, everything that happens is, uh, is directed. And that's why when I was telling my wife how brilliant I thought this Black Swan book was, she says, yeah, but it doesn't take into account a Kodesh Baruch Hu. Because if there's a Kodesh Baruch Hu who is running the world, then nothing is a Black Swan event that was totally unexpected and couldn't have been foreseen. It wasn't foreseen by us. To us, it strikes us as a black swan event, but not in reality. Um, uh, we spoke about this many years ago, that uh, uh, Lavan made a god out of his truffin. And his truffin are not avodazara. He made them into an avodazara. What a truffin? They are a device for divination. You can use it to predict the future. And uh, he made them to a god. That's why when Yaakov said, um, I'll take all of the uh, striped, spotted, speckled, splotched sheep. So uh, Lovin said, great. And he removed all of the speckled, splotched, striped and, and he went further. Anything that had any uh, uh, darkness in it in the, in the sheep and anything that had anything other than pure red in the goats because that's the dominant gene. And he says, listen, I understand genetics. So in the, interesting, when I did that shia, I don't remember how many years ago it was, you know, you know but now, or Hashem, uh, through recordings, you know, you live on every stupid thing you ever said, you know, and then they can dig it all out when they want to make a hit piece on you, you know, so. Uh, luckily, I, I've already been killed three times on the internet, so there's nothing else they can do to me, but, you know, um, but uh, I made a mistake at the time because I talked about the experiments of Mendelssohn, and of course, it's Mendel, you know, and I, I was obviously thinking of the founder of Reform Judaism came to mind first, but uh, uh, Mendel, of course, made all of his experiments with Genetics. So Lovin says, great, I'll remove all the recessive genes. He's only going to take the recessive animals. So, <laughs> you know, all things being equal, the normal functioning of the world, I'm going to be fine. And, uh, and he, uh, uh, of course, was shocked when all the, the sheep came out striped or splotched or speckled. And he changed the conditions a hundred times. And it didn't matter what he did, it came out the way. He, used to, he changed it when the animals were already pregnant. Right? So it, it just, because he couldn't believe that the world, the way he understood it, wasn't working. He couldn't believe it. So, um, uh, so that's, that's the idea of something being unexpected. So nothing is unexpected. 
right? And that's why Trophim work with the assumption that everything keeps working the way it's going to be. All things being equal, we can project ahead. There was a Harvard study, a Jewish population in America, that was done in 1976. And it predicted by the year 2076, there would be 10,000 Jews left in America. Of course, they didn't anticipate the Chuva movement. They didn't anticipate so many other things that you just can't factor in. There's so many things, so many things that you, you're not aware of when you, when you do this. And the Jewish people are the unexpected. Right? When the Catholic king, Louis XIV, uh, uh, asked uh, the French philosopher um, uh, Pascal, I think it was, I think it was, uh, he says, uh, show me proof of God. So he starts listing all the miracles. He says, no, 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 I don't mean then. I mean right now. Show me a miracle I can see today. And he answered, the Jews. The fact that the Jews still exist is a miracle. It doesn't make any sense. It defies history. We, you know, every now and then when there's an endangered species, there's an international movement to try to preserve them. There hasn't really been any movement to keep the Jews around. I would argue a student of history might say that there has been really several serious attempts to get rid of us completely. And the fact that we're still here, that as a Catholic king, he says, is evidence of a miracle. So uh, uh, unexpected. And that's why the famous poem that Mark Twain wrote, everything is mortal but the Jew. So we live outside of history. Things don't, things don't go normally. Can you imagine Noah trying to explain to the world that there's going to be a marble? I mean, 120 years. Yeah. And he's sitting there building his, his, uh, his boat, and, uh, and the animals all come to him miraculously, two by two. You know? So this, this, you know, this was quite a conversation piece. Tour buses would pull up and snap pictures, you know what I mean? You know? And says, what is this all about? He says, oh, God's going to flood the entire world, and he's going to destroy all life. And they would say, oh, yeah, is that right? <laughs> Noah, can we take a shot? <laughs> Noah in the boat. Uh, you're going to build a boat and everything's going to get destroyed. Yeah. And then he starts raining. He says, You see, it's raining. And they're like, Yep, that happens from time to time, you know? <laughs> Come on, Noah, it's just, it's just some rain, you know? And then it starts pouring and all that the home opens up and they're like, that, probably the last thing they said was, that was unexpected, you understand? I have to admit, I didn't see that coming. Talk about a black swan event, you know what I mean? Like, you know, poof, everything is destroyed. Nobody could have possibly have anticipated that. And uh, I had a guy in Orsamerich once who was a major in anthropology. And he said that the greatest event in human history, this is what this professor said, was the founding, founding of monotheism. It didn't make any sense, because religions are always copycat. And uh, I read a study once where they traced the evolution of the religion from North America to Central America to South America, you know, the Aztecs and the Incas, and you know how it all went, you know? And everybody was polytheistic. Everybody, North America, South America, Australia, Europe, Asia, 
Polynesian islands, everybody in the world was polytheistic. That was it. That's the only thing that made sense. And comes along one guy and says, nope, sorry, one God. Yeah? The first Jew invented wholesale. So, nope, nope, yeah, there's one God, he's in charge of everything. That was a paradigm shift that nobody could have anticipated, and it changed the course of human history. And he pointed out, interestingly enough, there is not one monotheist who lives today who doesn't trace it back to Avram Avinu. It's, it's, it was a seminal event in history, and one that could not have been anticipated. So uh, uh, there are no coincidences. The fact that the boat that he built is the same word as word cannot be a coincidence. And in fact, there is an unusual amount of emphasis on Debor in this week's Parsha, i.e., um, when people use not nice words, right? And, you know, there are certain words that even society today recognizes is unacceptable in polite company. You have to bleep it out on television. There's still a few words like that, not too many. There used to be a lot more, right? The words darn and heck were developed to act as uh, synonyms or replacements for two other words that were just considered beyond the pale. Yeah? So uh, I remember when I lived in America, so I used to, whenever I had the chance to read the newspaper, I tried to get the most important part, so I would always go to the comics. And because uh, Peanuts, you know, very Tversky's that's how I wrote an entire, you know, uh, a safer on analyzing peanut cartoons, you know. So uh, there's often, you know, uh, I, I sometimes use in Shurim, uh Calvin and Hobbes, both of whom were named for philosophers, interestingly enough. And uh, the far side, I mean, there's some brilliant things. Anyway, there was a family circle. I have to admit, the family circle was not really one that I ever got much material. Only one time, you know, the little girl goes to the mother and says, you know, Billy said a bad word. He says, what? He says, yeah, he mentioned the place down there with the devil. He, you know, he used a bad word. He goes, huh? He says, Billy, come here right now. He says, can I bring my helicopter with me? You understand? And that was like outrageous. Today, every politician uses the filthiest language. So you have people who when they... Uh, when someone says a bad word, they say, that's nivel pe. It's not. That's a mistake. Yeah? Nivel pe is anything that is ervos dibor. Something of a sexual nature. That is called nivel pe, menavel pe. Ervos ha pe. That's clear. What they're referring to over here is a... Uh, uh, sugya at the beginning of Psachim called Lashen Nakia. You have to talk nicely. You have to say nice words. Um, this became a bit of a joke at one point when you know they started to come up with uh, um, different terms 
you could no longer call someone a garbage man who was a sanitation engineer. You know, uh, you, I made the mistake. I didn't know this. I knew most of the terms. I didn't know when I referred to somebody as short. Yeah, and there was a gasp. It's vertically impaired. No, vertically challenged. When somebody was blind, so, you know, you said, well, the person's blind, you know, vision impaired. You can't, you, a lot of words that you can't use. Now, the truth of the matter is, this has a makar. Because in the, in the Gemara, they never say somebody is blind. I mean, you know, sometimes you see summa. But uh, they will often use the lotion of saginoya. Too much light. Because when there's too much light, you can't see. It's a Lashnakiya. And in fact, any time you use one of those terms, it's called Saginoya. You know? It, it's, it becomes a term of, don't say something that's not nice. And the beginning of Psachim brings a lot of examples. Yeah? Um, the Kohanim, they used to get a very tiny little piece of uh, the Lechma Ponim. And miraculously, it filled them up. So they're comparing notes, and one guy says, I got one the size of a bean. And the other guy says, really, I got one the size of a lentil. And the other guy says, really, I got one a piece of a lizard's tail. And everyone goes, you speak that way about the lechem upon him? They checked into him, and he wasn't a coin. He says, because a coin couldn't talk that way. A coin wouldn't be able to use that kind of lotion. There were two Talmidim, Pretty sure I was in front of Rebbe. And it was an exhausting shear. An exhausting shear. When they gave shear, it was, we just, the, 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 those who do Daf Yomi were making a seam tomorrow night in Gemara Beya. And, um, and uh, there's a Gemara over there, um, which, uh, of course, I just forgot what I was going to say. Anyway, it's not a senior movement. I was doing this even when I was young. Anyway, so, uh, um, uh, so two people were learning before. Rebbe. Oh, yeah, that was it. Okay, remember. It's right at the beginning. Rabbi Eliezer is giving shir on Yontif. And after the first hour, people went out to, to eat. And he goes, oh, see those? Those people are the kegs. By the second hour, they went on and go, oh, see those people? They're the barrels. Third people go, oh, see those people, they're the pitchers. Oh, see those people, they're the bottles. Oh, people, they're the... Is it... By the sixth hour, the people left. He says, you're just a bunch of losers. And they're like, what? He says, because the famous quote, Chatsi Lachem and Chatsi Lachem, Rabbi Eliezer doesn't hold that. He says, there is no mitzvah to eat and drink on, on, on uh, Yontif. So you should just sit in the basement and learn all day. Yeah. So uh, these guys, they ended up with nothing. They didn't get Onig Yontif because they waited a half a day to eat. And, and they also walked out of the middle of the ship. <laughs> it's like, you know. So when they gave a shear, uh, six hours, you know, that was nothing. So people walked out exhausted. So these two tell me I'm exhausted. And one says, I'm as exhausted as a goat. And the other one said, I'm exhausted as a pig. And when Rebbe heard this, he said, the second guy, nothing's going to come out of him. He didn't even say pig. He said, Dova Acher. He didn't even say the word pig. Just said, eh. But everyone knew he meant the pig. I didn't understand the Gemara at all, because what's exhausted as a goat? I mean, are goats really that tired? They, uh, 
as far as I know, they don't do anything. You know what I mean? Why should you be tired? I'm tired as a goat. You know? It's like I'm sick as a dog. I, I, you don't find dogs sick that often. I mean, it does happen, but more than any other animal, you know? Hungry as a bear, I understand. Sick as a dog. Anyway, I'm, I'm as tired as a pig. I'm as tired as a goat. I don't understand the whole thing, you know, frankly. But um, uh, the, um, uh, he says... That guy, nothing's ever to come from him. And the first guy became Rosh Hashiva, and the second guy became nothing. How could you talk that way? So there's a, there's a concept of the Lush and the Kia. The reason this starts at the beginning of, of uh, Psachim is because it says, Or the light of the 14th, and it says that um, the, uh, uh, they didn't, it really means night, but they didn't want to say night because that's not a nice word. So they said light instead. I mean, really? Night's not, a, not, not a, a, a nice word? I'm going all the way back. If anybody appreciates the reference, fine. If not, not. I've, I've lived a checkered career, and I drew upon my past. When I was young, there was this TV show called I Love Lucy. Um, I was in reruns already by the time I was born, so I didn't watch it in the original. Yeah. But uh, she's expecting, and uh, she brings in a grammarian to teach them how to speak correctly. So he says, there are two words that you should never use. One of them is swell, and the other one is lousy. So they say, okay, tell us the lousy one first. You know? No, no, no. You don't say swell or lousy. He says, right, right, what, what's the swell word? <laughs> what's the lousy word? It never even occurred to them. So as I mentioned, changing mores when I was in America working in Kiev, so what we'll refer to for our purposes as the D word and the H word, the one referenced in, um, uh, in uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, in the family circle uh, one, and the other one referring to uh, the large structure um, on Lake Mead named after Hoover. Yeah? So those two words, the, nobody even thinks they're bad anymore. They're just, you know... So, of course, working in Kiruv, you know, I mean, those, those were just colorful expressions. They weren't considered bad words at all, you know. And I was moving to Eretz I came on a pilot trip, and they asked me to speak in a yeshiva. And apparently, I used those two words in my talk uh, to emphasize certain points, you know. And, uh, and the yeshiva called me over afterwards. It's a friend of mine, and he says, you can't do that. And I wasn't even aware of it. That was the worst part. You don't even, you're not even aware of it. And um, uh, so I excised, and I had to work at it. I excised those words from my vocabulary. And after I was living in Israel for a year, I was asked to speak in another yeshiva. And one of the rabbim came over to me and said, how do you feel comfortable using the word H-E-C-K? I said, because I'm not using H-E-L-L. I think that's pretty good, no? <laughs> uh, Harry Truman, when he was president, he had an expression. That's a lot of manure. That's a lot of manure. And it was, lacked a certain fine kite for the president. I'm going back, of course, 100 years. You know? <laughs> you know, it's, 
So they say to his wife, Bess, could you get the president to stop saying manure? And she said, you know how long it took me to get him to say manure? <laughs> and uh, Teddy Roosevelt, I'm going back, really, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, he had this word that he would use when he really wanted to curse somebody out. He would say, he's a swine. And the way he said it, he stretched out swine. You know, it was like, it was considered like the worst curse word, you know. Years ago, I heard a comic, he, he said, you know, in England, you know, like the most offensive thing you could say to somebody was good day. He'd say, uh, well, I believe because, well, then I say good day to you, sir. No, but I, I said good day. <laughs> it's like, whoa, man, he said good day to you. It was like, oh, you better back off. Um, I, I, I say this, and I really try not to be political, but certain things, to me anyway, seem remarkably obvious, and they don't seem obvious to everybody. So I, I recognize the opportunity that I could be wrong. Um, I can't really entertain it for too long, but I do recognize the possibility. There was one time that I was wrong, and it turned out I was mistaken. But anyway, so I, I just don't understand how a from Yid could vote for Joe Biden, knowing the people who were behind him, knowing what the policies were, knowing the, the, you know, when you see everything that Trump did for, you know, for Israel and everything that Trump did for the Jewish people and everything that, I, to me, I couldn't understand it. But there were different people who I know who uh, didn't vote for him, from people. And uh, I always engage them in conversation to, to try to, uh, to understand a little bit. So there's a rav of a from shul in America. And he said to me, because I feel like Donald Trump lowered the level of Debor in America. In other words, he had such a crass way of speaking, and he had no problem using the words that are considered outside of the norm, and he would use them at rallies and things like this. And, you know, and because of that, people picked up a way of speaking with an Aziz that I believe took a toll on the from community. You see, from people talking in ways that they never would have talked before. Okay, whether that's enough to sell out the state of Israel or not, I'm not sure. You know, but whether that's a good enough reason to promote anti-Semites, I'm not sure. But what do I know? I'm not a politician. So, uh, but but the the point was, I think, a good point. Yeah, he is. Uh, a, a rough character, there's no question about it, you know? And he had a rough way of speaking, and it definitely changed uh, the, the approach in America of, of what was considered acceptable to say and not, and how to express it. Uh, he maintained that he had no choice because uh, conservatives had been picked on for so long in America that somebody had to fight back against it, but I'm not getting to the pros or cons. It's just an interesting thing of how people speak. Uh, personally, I think what destroyed the koyach of Lush and Nakia was the internet. Because since people can comment anonymously, people say the most vicious things that they would never say to your face. I, I've been uh, subjected to this, and uh, I, you know, uh, the three times that I was killed on the internet, you know, I would push myself to read through all the comments. And a family member said to me, why would you do that to yourself? And I said, because if I don't, 
this stuff is going to upset me. Let me just, just call, let me see, I'm a mamzer, I'm a malek, you know, I, I did this, I did that. go on and on, let's, let's just get it all out. Let's just, you know, let's, let's hear it all. Let's hear it all, you know? Uh, and uh, one guy said to me, who do you think you are? You're just some third-rate seminary teacher. I said, that's not an insult, it's a job description. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm supposed to be insulted by that, you know what I mean? But uh, uh, I remember reading a column 15 years ago by the, uh, the tech editor in the New York Times. And he says, I'm going to be writing a review of the new iPhone. It doesn't matter what I write. If I say I don't like it, if I say I do like it, the other half of the people are going to write me letters, but not like I take issue with what you said or I disagree. Vicious, horrible personal attacks because of my position on the iPhone. And people can write the most vicious, horrible things because it's anonymous and I don't have to answer up for it, you know? And so it lowers the way people speak and everything that goes on. You learn Lush and Nakia from this week's Parsha, right? Because he says, take from the behemoth ha-tahira, the ha-behemoth ha-she'enenu tahira. Now we know there are no extra letters in the Torah. We learn things out from a hey. We learn things out from a vav. So the fact that you add in all these extra letters, what? Just to teach me. Don't say tame. Say pure impaired. You understand? Purity challenged. You know? uh, say it in a nice way. Don't say something not nice. You know? So they, they went out of their way, the Torah goes out of its way, to say something in a way that teach us. Talk. That's in this week's parasha. Right? Um, the, the thing I find fascinating, by the way, lest you think this is merely a flight of fancy, the Maharami Pano points out the length of the table was 300 amos. The width was 50 amos, and the height was 30 amos. Right? 30 in Gematria is Lamed. 300 is Shin. Nun is 50. The Teva was Lashon. Because Teva means a word, and it's the Orachim HaKadosh speaks this out as well. And I'm wondering to myself, the Dor HaMabel, um, Hashchosa, they stole Arias, Avodazora. Nowhere do you see that they didn't speak nicely. <coughs> Nowhere do you see that Dibor played a role in what they were doing at all. Noach had a 120-year Kirov campaign, not very successful, yeah. Uh, he didn't recruit anybody. And uh, it doesn't say that he talked to people. He built the Teva. That was, the Teva was the word that he was giving up, but he didn't say anything. So where's the Koyach You don't find Koach HaDibor in the story until Mamish the end. Perakut Aleph, Vayikoh HaAretz, Sofa Echos Udvarim Achadim. They spoke one language 
and they had dvarim achadim. Says Rashi, Ba be'etza achas ve'amru lo kohemenu shivari yonim nalerakia v'nasi momilchama. Let's make war against Hashem. They spoke against Hashem. There's more than this, Rashi. <coughs> uh, there's a medrash that says, uh, They were laughing at Avram Avinu. They had to cancel out Avram Avinu and the words that he was saying. So Kosh Baruch Hu comes down, and what does he do? He changes everybody's dibor. <coughs> and mibalbel. He mixes it all together. Now, you might argue that there's a connection between the word mabel and bavel. Bavel, you know, is that it? But you, but you don't find anywhere, as far as I can see, the door of mabel, the deep word was an issue. You don't find that anyplace. So uh, I'm going to tie together a lot of ideas that we've said partially in past years on Parshish Noach. <clears throat> and I'm going to try to put them all together. Blessed is he who spoke and the world came into being. With ten expressions, God created the world. The world itself is Dibor. He looked into the Torah and created the world. <clears throat> and the Chazal say, how did, other, how did Avram Avinu figure out the whole Torah, he looked at the Bria. Because if you study the building, you can recreate the blueprints. And the Bria itself, creation itself, was just a reflection of the words of Torah that Akash Baruch Hu had spoke. And the end, and the, and the basis of everything in this world is a Dibor. Says the Maharal, that is the connection between the two words, Daber and Davar. Because everything is a word. For those of you who are interested in uh, working on practical Kabbalah. Um, so how does Kabbalah work? Because if you know what the word is that controls this thing, you can control the thing with that word. Hence the famous uh, magical incantation, abracadabra. Abra. Kedabra, it's Aramaic. Abura, I create kedabra, like I speak. That's the power, the power of Dibur. The entire world is based on Dibur. So you could argue that since the Dora Mabel destroyed the world, they destroyed the Dibur of HaKadosh Baruch. But I think we can take it in another direction as well. <clears throat> what do you keep in the Teva? Keep a Sefer Torah. Migdal Bavel, where you see Akash Baruch Hu changes around the Dibor because the Dibor is what united them in their purpose. What is Bavel most known for? Obviously, Talmud Bavli, the Gemara. And why is it called Bavel, Babel? The Gemara says you never learn anything unless you first learn it wrong. <clears throat> if you get something right on the first time, you got to be suspicious. You got to look at it again. Yeah. There are two minhagim coming out of Simchas Torah. 
the prevailing minhag is that the chassim uh, bereshis makes the kiddush. It used to be that the chassim Torah made the kiddush. So there are two. There are two uh, uh, different minhagim, right? Like I say, the prevailing one tends to be. Sometimes the two of them do it together. Yeah. So the svarah why the chassim Torah makes it is pashit because it's a seam. You are Messiah the Torah, and whenever you make a Siyam, you make a, a, a big party. You make a Kiddush. Make a, make a Siyam. Yeah, Suda. But what's less clear is why I would do that for the Chassam Parashas. He's starting the Torah. So I heard once from Rabbi Uri Silva the following idea, which I found very fascinating. <clears throat> One of the reasons the the Torah is called Har Chorev, is from the Lushen of Chorben. Because when the Torah was given, it destroyed everything else. Meaning, I could argue my position, and you can argue your position, but at the end of the day, right, when a Kirsh Baruch Hu comes and says, this is the truth, that's the end. Your opinion doesn't really count anymore. It has destroyed everything in the world. Parenthetically, like a marble. Um, that's how the Gemara Zwachim learns the Pasik. Yeah. The world is being destroyed by another marble. This is the Matan Torah. And Bilam said, No, Hashem Hashem is giving the Torah to the world. And they said, they were margish the Torah as a marble. Now, it makes sense, if you think about it, because the Yalkut Shimoni brings down a medrash that says, marble should be read as mem bul, 40 days in the month of bul. And Mar Chesvin is one of the few months that has a name in Tanakh. There are a few. Er is called Ziv, Nisan is called Aviv, and Mar uh, Chesvin is called Chodesh Bul, Beis Vav Lamed. So Ma Bul is Mem, forty days in the month of Bul. It started in the month of Bul and ended in the month of Bul. And if it rained for forty days, forty days, as Rashi says, is how long it takes to create something. So when we went up to the Torah, it was also 40 days to bring down the bull. The bull? Sure. Because the first letter in the Torah is Bez, Beratius. The last letter in the Torah is Alamid. La'ene kol Yisrael is Alamid. And the middle letter the Chazal tell us is the large vav in the word gachon. Bez, vav, lamid. The whole Torah is called bull. Mem bull. So the ma bull and the Torah are very similar. And that's why the way that he survived the ma bull was to be able to go into the teva. Very strange medrash. It says the door ma bull either had to be destroyed or they had to be the door that was makabal Torah. Strange. <clears throat> so the answer is, before we could get to Torah, we had to go down to Mitzrayim, which was called a kurabarzel, a smelting pot. What does that mean? We had to be boiled down to pure chaymer to remove all of, our, uh, all of our impurities. 
What's a bull? A bull is a stamp. Okay, it has nothing to do with the piece of, uh, of adhesive paper that we put onto a letter today. <clears throat> a bull was a signet ring. And you would take the clay and you'd make an impression in it or the wax, and that was your signature. Hence the term signet ring. Yeah, that was your signature. You put it on, and that made the impression. Now, maybe you have seen this phenomena. I don't know if they have it anywhere in Israel. Well, I went to the Empire State Building as a kid, and they had a machine which, for free, you could roll a penny into. You pulled a lever, or a lever, depending where you're from, <clears throat> and out came your penny with a picture of the Empire State Building. Years later, I took my kids to Hershey Park, and they charged you 50 cents for the schus to destroy your penny. Yeah? And then they would put on a little picture of like a candy kiss or, you know. What happened to Abraham Lincoln? The bull erased the impression that was there and gave a new one. That's what the Torah does. The Torah completely changes who you are. <clears throat> Kosh Baruch Hu goes to Esav and says, you want to accept the Torah? And he says, what does it say? It says, lo sirtzach. He says, what? The Torah says about me, I'm going to live by my sword. How can I say I'm not going to kill when the Torah says I'm a murderer? He goes to Yishmael, what does it say? It says, lo signaif. He says, what? The Torah says that I'm a thief. The Torah says it. The answer is, you're right. That's who you are. But if you accept the Torah, you can change who you are and bring on a new Metzius. You put on a new stamp. You can become something completely different than you were. You can become a new person. The marble melted everything. Mitzrayim boiled us down. That's a prerequisite to get the Torah. Sometimes a kid wants to go to yeshiva, you know, and, and they have this uh, thing where they say, he has a lot of potential. That doesn't tell you very much. Everybody has a lot of potential. Is that? You, you want to believe that the potential was fulfilled at least a little bit, you know? Somebody had a nice way of saying it. He says, uh, how, what is this kid? Chayma Balitsura. There's nothing but a piece of clay. You can make him into something. <laughs> There's nothing else there. There's much nothing. You know, when a person is something, you have to superimpose the Torah on top of that. It doesn't work that way. You know, you have to, you have to remake the person. The Torah has to recreate you into a different uh, reality. Both the Mabal and Matan Torah was able to do that. Anyway, so the, Uri Silva was the Chassan Parashas, and he says, <clears throat> the concept of the Torah being a Chorban is an ongoing process. This is what he wanted to say on that Maharal. What does that mean? You, you have a little kid goes to Gan, and you say, what did you learn? Oh, we learned about Yosef and his brothers. What happened? Oh, Yosef, he was saying bad things about his brothers to his father. And the brothers were very angry at him, and so they threw him into a boar, 
And then they sold him as an Evid. And, uh, and Yosef was very upset. When he had the chance, he threw his brothers into prison and got even. And in the end, they all made up. Uh, teaching and God, right? <clears throat> then you go to high school and you learn it with the Mepharshim. And you understand there were machlekesim over here. There was a basin. There were shitas. There was a, it's much more complicated. Can you ever listen to the story of Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat again when you realize what nonsense it was? <coughs> and you go to Yeshiva Gedolu, it's a seminary, and you learn it on a higher level. And you say, wow, what I did was, was, was silly. And then you move it to a higher level, and a higher level. And each time you do, it destroys the pshat you had beforehand. So he says, the Chosen Torah is taking upon himself to learn the Torah again on a higher level. And Mamela, that destroys the Torah from beforehand. It's an ongoing process. Yeah. So Torah is hachoreh. There's a destruction. It's a marble. Because it changes the entire nature of the world. The same way that the marble did. It's just, in one case, it's, you're able to recreate the world. In the other one, you destroy it. So the Teva holds the Sefer Torah, right? That's what they were in. Then we come to Migdal Bavel. And Bavel is a Lushen of Mibalbel. That's what I think Rabbi Silva was trying to explain, that the, every time you learn the Torah, it's a constant act of destruction and rebuilding. So when you learn something, first you learn it wrong. And then, you, and then you move on from there. And uh, there's, it's so interesting. The Gemara will very often say, Masnis and Kaman, who is our Mishnah go like? The low care, Rabbi Yehuda, the low care, you know, uh, you know, Rabbi uh, Yochum Nuri, the low care, you know, they'll bring in, oh, it's not like him. Because there's a process of arriving at the truth. Things don't, don't go in a linear fashion. You have, to, you have to make mistakes. You have to stumble. You have to get it wrong. That's the nature of it. Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Har Sinai and says, how did he know when it was day and when it was night? When it was day, HaKadosh Baruch Hu taught him the Torah Shabbat Sav, and at night he taught him the Torah Shabbat Peh. <clears throat> Why? Because you can't see at night. The Torah Shabbat Peh is a struggle. It's stumbling. You know where it says that? In the Medrash at the end of Parshas Noah. That the Torah Shabbat Peh you learn at night. Because you have to stumble around to try to understand it. So this is brought down in some of the more mekubalim uh, Svarim, the teva, the, the mabel, was the yesoid of Torah Shabbat whereas the migdal bavel was the yesoid of Torah Shabbat So, bavel is all about talking. I'm talking, you're talking, we're coming up with a plan. HaKadosh Baruch has to change our languages to stop the plan. We have to now struggle to understand each other. It's all about Dibor. But the Teva itself is a Dibor because 
The Torah Shabbat you don't have to speak it out. You put it in a teva. And because the Doha Mabel destroyed the world, they could have taken on a new tzura of Torah. They didn't. So whatever remnant was left had to be put into a teva, like a Sefer Torah, to be preserved. Noach Yoshev Be'emsa teva. He's sitting in that word. That word is going to recreate the world. It's going to become a new world. Through that koach hadibur that a Kodesh Baruch Hu used to make the first world. But the way we're going to understand that world and master that world is through the Torah Shabbal Peh. Through our power of speech, through the things that we say in order to be able to affect it. My dear friend, Chanuch uh, has a, uh, a book called It's a Small Word After All. And the entire theme about it is how you can say something small and change the world. And he starts in the introduction with a story that he personally experienced. It was Erev Yom Kippur in the mikvah. He lives in a very religious neighborhood. If you go to Erev Yom Kippur, <clears throat> there are some people go every day. There are some people go Erev Shabbos. Some people go Erev Yontif. Some people go also Erev Rosh Hashanah. Each one of these times increases. And Erev Yom Kippur, that's where all the dilettantes show up and like, you know, and try to show that they're mikvah savvy, you know. We regulars just roll our eyes at them, you know. It's like, gosh, don't you even know how this works, you know what I mean? So, anyway, so it's, it was packed. And... Okay, men, for the most part, understand this. Uh, I guess I just have to be masbah this for the benefit of the women. Um, when a woman, uh, I don't know this firsthand, but from what I understand, a woman's mikvah experience is dramatically different. You know, you get a little private room and you take a little bath and you have your own little mikvah, you know. Men, it's a packed room of people in various stages of undress, showering. Sometimes when it's crowded, they have to share a shower going back and forth. This one soaps up and goes and rinses off, you know. And they all go into the mikveh, and sometimes it's a group activity. There's several people there, you know. There's one little chassid teaching his kid how to swim, you know. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, the whole experience is just, and people sitting there schmoozing. It's, uh, it's, it's just, just really different. Now, minig eretzrel, apparently, is people don't really use bathrobes for the most part. In America, they do. I learned this the hard way when I went to the mikvah in America, and evidently uh, I was following Minagi Yerushalayim. And uh, well, anyway, well, all I can tell you is I have no more inhibitions. Uh, it's really, it's really. You know how little kids have this uh, this recurring nightmare where they're suddenly standing in front of the class in their underwear. If you go to the mikvah on a regular basis, that's already a good thing. You know what I mean? Like you know, yeah. so it's pretty dramatic. Anyway, it's packed with all people in. You know, Minik Yerushalayim waiting to go into the mikvah, you know? And there's one guy wearing a robe. It's unusual. Anyway, he gets right up to the water. He takes off his robe. He goes in. He comes up and he gets his robe. And as he's putting it on, it falls. And the entire mikvah goes silent. Because he has an obscene tattoo on his chest. But like, obscene lemahadrin, according to Kol Shittas. You know what I mean? <laughs> And all these from people, Erevim Kippur, their mouths drop open. And the guy must have died 10 deaths. And this one old man shuffles over. 
and lifts up his arm. And he says, I also have a tattoo. He says, you went through your Gehenna, and I went through mine, and now we should both have a good year. And everyone went back to what they were doing. He put on his robe, he went to get dressed, you know. It, it, it was a small world, word that changed everything. It was the most amazing thing. Now, if you thought about it, you'd realize you do this all the time, you just don't know it. I'm not natural in Hebrew. Yeah, I, I speak English. I, I've never mastered Hebrew. I, uh, I um, live in a neighborhood where Baruch Hashem, a lot of people speak English. I've taught in English-speaking yeshivas and seminaries. So I never really, you know, mastered Hebrew. I have spoken occasionally in Hebrew, and if Israelis have asked me to switch to English. So uh, I said, do you understand English? They said, no, but it's got to be better than the Hebrew you're speaking. It's just, it's just too painful, you know what I mean? So, uh, so I've, I've worked, I've struggled to try to communicate. On a rare occasion, I can actually make a joke in Hebrew. This is, this is one of the um, finest moments of my life, I'm sorry to say, you know? So I get into an elevator once, and someone had spilled the coffee and left it there. And people were standing in the elevator, and they were all moving around, and they were all annoyed. You know that Israeli annoyed look they have, you know? So I come in, I look down, I go, Café hafuch? Everybody laughed. It was probably the only Hebrew joke I ever told in my life, you know? And everybody laughed, and it was gone. The tension just disappeared, you know? I go in on an Arab Yontif to uh, any supermarket, doesn't matter where, it's a madhouse, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, and everyone's screaming at the cashier, this and this thing, you know? And I get up and I go, you know, I, I need, uh, can I bring you a drink? You know, would you like a coffee? Can I get you a drink? No, no, I'm beside it. goes, oh, such a chesed you're doing for people, you know. She smiles. It changes people's lives. You know, you say something nice to the shomer as you're walking out. You say something, you know, nice to the bus driver when you get on. You say, you know, it's a small word. And it changes the way people speak. That's what this rub was trying to tell me, I think, is that we've lost that, that sense of Dibor Toiva, of Lushen Nikia. As for Ben okay, there are times when it says Behemoth Tmeya. How come over here it doesn't? So he says, because here he was telling Noah what to take on to the Teva. And he's going to give them permission to eat it. And says Rabbi Bachaya, because you can never say anything bad about food. You can't say, this is yucky. This is disgusting. You know? You could say, I don't care for it. I don't care for sushi. Not any aspect of it. Not the raw fish, not the seaweed, not the burning green sauce, not the sticky rice. If I make sticky rice, I throw it out and make new rice. Why would I want sticky rice? You know what I mean? Every aspect of this thing is horrific. My children love it. You know what I mean? You know? My brother-in-law buys a platter, you know, you know, he calls it, they call it shalosh, uh, shalosh sushi. You know what I mean? They have their sushi for shalosh shudas, you know, shalosh sushi. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, there's a, um, uh, there's a English comic, uh, uh, Ashley Blaker, Blakely. Blakely Asher? Blakely Asher? Ashley Blakey? I'm dyslexic, doesn't matter. Either way it works for me. But anyway, 
But he says, what is the firm community's obsession with sushi? I don't get it. You go to any bar mitzvah, any wedding, you have the gefilte fish, and you have the chopped liver, and you have a Japanese guy making sushi. You know what I mean? You walk into any, you know, kosher uh, supermarket, you know, and they have the meats, and they have the vegetables, and a Japanese guy making sushi. You know, you walk into a butcher shop, in the corner is a Japanese guy making sushi. He says, I had to go and get a new sitter. I went to the Svarim store. He says, the Talesim, here's the Sidurim, here's a Japanese guy making sushi. You know, like, you know, it was the obsession, you know. Okay, I don't care for it. I don't care for it, but, but you know, they say it's yichi, it's disgusting. They don't say that, and I try to teach that to my kids. You could say, I don't care for it. You can't say anything bad about it. You can't say something that's not nice. So, we come out of the marble, which could have been the Dor HaTayra, and we come now into the Dor HaTayra. Yeah? I'm sure there'll be some people who'll come out of the shir tonight, and they'll say, yeah, it was hot as blazes. That's already lush in the key. Is that? Yeah. I don't know, it was so hot in the show. Other people come in and say, there was such a warmth in the room. It was so nice. You know, I feel so glowy. <laughs> you know, you can, you can always find a nice way to speak, a nice way to say something. Lashnikia is the determinant of who we are. Noah went into a teva, into a word, because he had to take this world that was created with words, and the good words create the good. Lashen toiv. Yeah? When you have, when you have Lushen Toiv, Dibur Toiv, you know, we're so focused on Lushen Hara these days as opposed to Lushen Tov. When we speak nicely and the, with consideration, Benachas, yeah, we, we change people's lives. I, I've seen it in my own life and you've seen it too, you're just not always conscious of it. When you make the effort to say something nice to somebody, it changes it around so much. I always try, when I see a kid sitting in shul, davening nicely, to go over to his father afterwards and say, wow, what a great, it's in front of the kid, what a great kid you have. Look how beautifully he davened. Ah, oh, you should have such nachas from him. The father's beaming, the kid's beaming. You know, it doesn't cost you anything. You know? As opposed to people who are like, why do you bother bringing those kids to shul for? You know what I mean? The first year that I emceed the woman's Shmiris Halashin, yeah? So, uh, you know, you want to try to keep proper decorum for the, for the sake of the speakers, you know what I mean? So, you know, I was talking, and you know, we have to make sure there's no talking, turn of yourself, and so goes. And to those mothers who brought small children with them, thank you for coming. Just make an effort to make sure your kid doesn't bother. <laughs> Because, you know, they were all waiting to you know, hear something not nice. And instead, when you say something nice, when, you, when you're able to create that Dibor, Dibor created the world, and the way that we continue to create the world is with the Torah Shabbat With the words that we speak and the things that we say every time we do abracadabra, we are creating something new in this world. And it could be every word that you say, right? creates a malach. It could be a good malach, it could be a bad malach. And every time you say something nice, when you get up to Shemayim, there could be all these good malachim saying, oh, oh, that's the guy who speaks so nicely. And then there'll be all the bad malachim. 
They'll say, oh, he said bad things. And you turn to them and say, shut up. Now, that doesn't help. You, know what I'm saying? you just made two more. <laughs> you know? And uh, uh, when you make an effort, make that effort the, the, that our koyach dibur can create wonderful things in the world. And the Mirza Hashem, we will go in uh, to use our koyach dibur in beautiful and wonderful ways. Once again, welcome back, everybody. And uh, we hope to see you in two weeks. <laughs>